Hey guys, welcome to the Strength Connection. I'm Michael Kurkowski. I'm here to connect you with the top minds in the world of strength to share stories, insights, and experiences to help you become stronger every day. So today I've got to chat with a man who serves two worlds in strength. I've got Dr. Chris Lee, physical therapist, uh, certified strength and conditioning specialist, and strong first lead instructor, and he joins me on the show. So I say two worlds because Chris has practiced both on the side of therapy and rehabilitation, as well as sports performance and strength and preventative care. So I've always found people like Chris so interesting to talk to because we often only stay in our own lane and communicate a lot with people who share our experiences or expertise or have gone through the similar schooling that we have. So to be able to chat with Chris about connecting the world of clinical care and strength training was one I was really excited for. And in this episode, Chris talks about how he ended up studying and practicing both BT and strength training, what it was about the strong first methods of strength that helped him in his practice and how he works to use both fields every day for his clients. So you can check out Chris out at movementprofessional.com or on social media at Chris L-I-L-E-I-B. So lastly, if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe so you can catch all new episodes every single week. So without further ado, we'll get on with the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. I'll catch you on the inside. Welcome back, everyone. Chris, thanks so much for taking the time. It's really nice to meet you. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I was excited to chat with you. I know, um, you know, earlier this month, I saw you got your elite certification from Strong First. Congratulations right off the bat. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. And that, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Perfect start right there. Um, but no, I was, you know, I was curious to chat with you just because I know you're in a couple different worlds, really, in the world of strength, uh, being a doctor of physical therapy but also as a strength and conditioning specialist and in the world of, you know, strong first and strength. So, you know, kind of joining those two worlds together has always been something I thought was fascinating. And I think it's a conversation that we should have more of because, you know, so many times we're saying you need to go this direction or this direction when in reality, no, it needs to be a collective, you know, group together either with one person or with a team to help somebody completely. So yeah, I'm excited to really pick your brain and, kind of kind of roll today. Yeah, I mean I, I couldn't agree more with what you said and that's sort of been the evolution of my kind of my job. Um, I mean I went to physical therapy school. I started in a clinic that was more traditional physical therapy, but there was a gym right there. So it was an easy integration to start personal training. And um, what I found was that what I was learning from a personal training perspective was so valuable for what I was doing from a physical therapy perspective. Uh, and, and there was also a lot of missing links that I found in personal training that I didn't get in physical therapy school, right? And just in, in the way of like, one, you get to spend more time with people. So like that one-on-one -on -one relationship, you, you get to learn a lot that I didn't get in a busy clinic in physical therapy at first, where I was sort of running from one person to the other. And a lot of things early on in my physical therapy career were based on a diagnosis, like a structural diagnosis and what things were supposed to be based on that structural diagnosis more than actually assessing what was in front of me from a movement standpoint. And I started to see that more in actually the personal training world, because most people that I was seeing had some type of injury history and I had more opportunity to assess them from a different way. But then it, it started to kind of bleed into what I was able to do in the clinic and my continuing education options then started to, to blend where it looked a little bit like a combination of stuff from the NSCA and, mm -hmm. you know, that strength and conditioning world mixed with stuff that I would get that was more typical physical therapy. And they, they, I feel like they blended really well and it's, you know, it's kind of gone from there. 
Was that something that you thought might happen when you first got into schooling for physical therapy? Like, was your first passion to go more into physical therapy, not really into the fitness world? It's a good question because I didn't really know what physical therapy was going to be. Like my initial inclination was I used to play basketball growing up and I thought of it as a type of athletic training in a way mm-hmm. that was sort of up and coming. And I knew it was it, it, at the time where I got into physical therapy school, it wasn't a doctorate program, but I knew it was moving towards that. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, okay, I wanted to go that way. I thought it was going to be a good job, but I really didn't know what to expect. And I found that, yeah, it, it was very much not, you know, personal training oriented in school. Like you have, you have to like kind of look hard for it. We got very little actual movement education from a standpoint of practically doing things. Mm-hmm. It was more about like, and understand we got a lot of like practical like hands-on manual therapy but not a lot okay. of actual like get in the gym and and move and, and like test your movement capabilities and, and understand it from from that perspective there was like very little like what i think there is kinesthetic learning happening it was more okay. like okay auditory you're, you're listening to something you're reading something uh, we like really knew anatomy well like we, we mm-hmm. dove into that deeply but it just there wasn't that practical aspect of like taking what you're doing with your own body and then trying to tie that into what someone might not be able to do well. Right. And that's where I think like fitness really ties that in. And then things like the, the FMS is is all that, that world of movement assessments became more Mm -hmm. popular. You're just like, Oh, that, that really makes sense. Like it's not even about like, is that the right assessment? It's just like the idea of like trying to figure out assessments that Mm -hmm. look at like movement capabilities and like create standards around that. It, it became important. And I, I didn't feel like we got a lot of that in physical therapy school. So I'm glad it transpired to really, cause I think our field is totally moving that way now and it's great, but um, it, it, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't when I came out of school and I didn't really know what to expect going in. Right. That's really, it's great to hear that it's going in that direction because like mm-hmm. when I first got into health and fitness um, in 2008, uh, you know, I learned the functional movement system. So that was, that mm-hmm. was when Gray was really on his crusade with Lee and Brett to, you know, recognize this world. And f- honestly, for the first year of learning this stuff, I didn't know Gray was a physical therapist. I just knew who he was right. and realized his background of it was in more of the deep clinical work of working with kind of older adults and getting them moving again, and then brought it into the word that you use, which is perfect, getting a standard level of movement, mm-hmm. which Absolutely. I think which I think is kind of interesting because I mean, and we can certainly, uh, I'd like to dive into kind of just the term assessment with you, because I know that's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to go about it, you know, but I think Absolutely. the big thing that I, that I thought was great about the functional movement screen was it was just giving that a, some sort of standard for each person right. that was going in and um, saying, can this person do this or not do this? It's just giving a nice, clear breakdown, you know, from that. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that the functional movement systems does well, but also a, a lot of the other movement systems I've looked at is they create a categorization around movement and like, and, and it, it's a broad categorization. And I think sometimes the broader things are, it, it's, it's better in many ways. It's like the, the more you try to get specific, I think that's where we have arguments and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's being claimed that might not be founded, but like the FMS to me was, was a very, broad categorization of how we can look at some movement patterns, right? Like you had your bilateral stance squat pattern, you have your kind of single leg stance stepping pattern, you have your lunge type of pattern. 
And then you, you know, you had your two different types of core assessments, your shoulder mobility. Your, so it was the fact that that was actually that broad, I thought made it easier. Um, and, and it made it very useful, like where even as a physical therapist, I didn't need to necessarily take people through like the actual FMS, but I could have in my head of assessment, how, how, how many ways can I look at those patterns? Right. And that became like really useful to say like, or even if I'm not in a, in a setting where I could do FMSs that frequently, I now have like a, a different way to look at movement that's more from a functional standpoint, which to me that, you know, that could be defined in a lot of different ways, but it's just like something that's useful to the person and starts to get them doing the things that they want to do, as opposed to trying to like deconstruct everything into body part by body part, or by, by looking at things like from a very like structural um, standpoint, which again, is that's, that's the main education that we got is like trying to tie in what we're doing as physical therapists to almost like what x-rays and MRI show. And I don't think that's where we're best utilized. Like that's not where we're, we're experts and we can't actually change what's going on. Like a lot of times on an x-ray or an MRI, like right. what we can change is how, how someone moves. And, and that to me is more education based than it is like trying to train, change structure. Gotcha. So this, this gave me like kind of a different switch of saying, okay, like I want to look at what someone can't do well and have categories for doing that and then be, be the person that helps them to be able to do those things. And that's not, you know, that's not going to be someone who is injured has, who has these kind of deficits and people who aren't injured don't like, it'll be both. Like you'll see, and that's where it sort of blends fitness and, and rehab, like injury might just have been a, like a latent response to these problems. We can look at it that way, or it might be a random separate response, but like the thing that we can look at and control is okay here's an assessment of deficits that you have we can help make those better and then we'll see how that changes your symptoms your function and, and things like that yeah that i mean that makes so much sense because from an mri or an x-ray if something's there yeah if there's a structural type of thing that's going on that's a much different you know question and solution you know to work with right. rather than where I think most people have issues, which is movement compensations or weakness or, you know, stability or mobility issues, which comes in. So to be able to have that discussion with the general population per, you know, person is going to be much better. So having, having both is, I guess, essential, right? You need to have an MRI or a, an X-ray to, if something really is going on, that's not getting fixed, but yeah, I, I, I agree. The assessment route might be the best route to take for that person. Yes. And it absolutely depends on who, is doing the treatment at the time. Like, so for, for a physical therapist, it's good to have that information, but mm -hmm. it, it doesn't necessarily need to change what you're doing. Like you're still going to assess what's in front of you. And I think that's important to understand is like an X-ray and MRI is, is always a static image of something that's not in front of you in that moment. Right. So like, I'm not treating the X-ray and there's always a, a leap of faith taken basically to say that what that x-ray or MRI shows is exactly the reason that you're having pain or you're having your limitations. There's always that leap of faith because, because what you're assessing is more dynamic in the clinic. Like you're, you're assessing movement. You don't know how their structure is changing as they're moving because that's not what was being assessed by a static image. But then there's, there's oh, also okay. the, the kind of the idea of saying like, if that's, that's not what I can change, then is that the thing I should be most, um, you know, concerned with? Um, so like if I'm not going to, a surgeon really needs to be concerned with it. If somebody who's going in there and has to put like an injection in a very specific spot might be more concerned with it. But 
if there's not a consistency in what that shows to how I treat, then it becomes less useful. And and I haven't seen that there is a consistency to what someone's MRI or x-ray shows to what the treatment is. It's going to be based on what the symptom provocation is in front of you based on, you know, different movements, different, you know, tests and, and assessments that you do. Um, and there's a, there's a level of sensitivity that people have that is just different regardless of what their, their imaging shows. Hmm. Yeah. So it seems like, I mean, it's nice to have an MRI or an X-ray and get an answer from that. I think that's probably why mm -hmm. people go through that process, right? It's because right. we want to close that loop as quick as possible. But I think that's really interesting what you just said, Chris, about how it, even if it says something on there, it might not be the reason why you're feeling pain or you're going through that. It's going to be more dynamic, you know, Absolutely. from that. Yeah. So with the work that you, so going, kind of going back into when you got into this world, like, did you, when you got realized that the gym was in kind of the physical therapy center and you started working in both spaces, did you kind of finish with your physical therapy work and then realize like, I want to get into the world of strength and understand this too, and then go kind of the strength and conditioning route? Or did you kind of just work them both together? I, no, I definitely worked them both together. Like my, mm -hmm. my major job for the longest period of time was like I was employed by a physical therapy clinic and then I did personal training on the side, which is, is, is actually, as you know, like a really nice profession to do part-time for a little while. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and then build it gradually. It's yep. and not all, not all fields are like that, but I think personal training more than physical therapy is uniquely suited to, to be that sort of part-time job that you can do while you have a full-time job as you start mm -hmm. to build clients and, and things like that. So I was definitely more of a physical therapist for a while. And I would say now I'm probably more of a personal trainer, just the way that my business runs, because the, the other side of that is when you do build your clientele from a personal training standpoint, unlike physical therapy, you hopefully don't have to find new people if, if the people, you know, are, yes. are, you're doing a good job for them, right? Where in physical therapy, like we have this sort of unique healthcare profession situation where we have to discharge people, right? Like, and that's right. based on insurance company rules. Like, exactly. Yeah. One mm -hmm. of the only healthcare professions that actually has to discharge people. Like you don't get discharged from your physician. You just go kind of you, whenever you need to that's go. It. And yeah, yeah. That's, that's but a really you don't good get point. Discharged from your dentist, but you get discharged from physical therapy and, it, and it's a necessary part of the, the profession. So personal training is more like you get better relationships and from, from just a, how I run my business, like I'm one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one with everybody, my schedule gets full with that. So new people will tend to be physical therapy, but like I have more of a personal training kind of a, my schedule is mm -hmm. filled with more of, of those clients, mm -hmm. so, but it, it went gradually towards that just because it kind of happened naturally where it was just like, okay, this is, this is what is better for my business. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is, is it more so because people, just went after going through kind of probably initial consultation and stuff, people just needed more of the strength and conditioning and not as much physical therapy, or was it just more people started to just come to you more for that specific, like personal training kind of goals and, and strength and conditioning? Yeah, there's a lot of factors. And I'm sure um, being a physical therapist, it was probably like a good marketing tool for being a personal yeah. trainer, right? Mm -hmm. Just for, for the right clientele, not certainly not for everyone. And I would, mm -hmm. I, I know I'm not, an appropriate trainer for, you know, like certain populations, but it's for, for that niche. Yeah. It, it became sort of like this natural thing where a lot of times it was a carryover from physical therapy. Um, but I, I find at this point, the closer, the quicker people get into what looks like training, the better their prognosis, right? So the, the longer something is going that looks like, okay, 
they're on the table and I'm doing things to them, they're, they're usually in a, in a farther from where they want to be. And my goal is to get somebody looking like they're training and I could still be doing assessments in that process that are working around an injury. But like the, the, the quicker the two blend, the better it is in my experience for long-term prognosis, because there's not really an end game that you have to find with a specific injury or diagnosis, right? Like uh, most of the time you see someone long enough, they're going to have ups and downs with symptoms. Like I'm sure your body has had ups and downs with symptoms. My mind yep. too. So I think it's an education of understanding what to do, how to manage, but also like kind of understanding that the nature of pain, it doesn't have to be immediately like I go into patient mode because I have a symptom. It could just be like your body telling you something in that moment that is like, we better listen to mm -hmm. and move around it. But if we stay in the training process there, there's more of a psychology that I'm building something instead of I'm broken, have to fix something. Oh, yeah. That's why I think this conversation of both modalities is so fascinating because I think people who aren't like yourself, who are one or the other, they're doing physical therapy or they're in the world of personal training or, you know, strength coaching. I saw this a while ago where I, you know, worked for a, a company where all we did was one-on-one -on -one personal training. And we had a great relationship with an orthopedist who sent a lot of referrals. So if you didn't need to cut on it and they didn't need physical therapy, sometimes those people have no idea what to do. It's like, so we did, you know, more of personal work and kind of just, sometimes they just need strength. And what I realized kind of the same thing as you said, Chris is, well, there's going to be times in life when you are going to get banged up or you're going to have an injury and you're going to need to do specific physical therapy and then come back. So I think having that conversation between the two, you know, would work mm -hmm. so much better together. So I don't know if there's any groups or any kind of uh, people that are trying to kind of merge this gap a little bit more, but I definitely think that it's a, it's a direction that our industry can hopefully go in. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think some of the, the models that we, we both looked into like strong first, I think does that pretty well because they, they have definitely connections to the FMS world mm -hmm. and, and TPI, like they're all, that's all connected. And like TPI's model, like Titleist Performance Institute, they're just like, you got your coach, you got your medical professional, and then you got your strength coach. And a lot of times that, that strength coach can be the medical professional if, if they have the, the education, but there is this triangle that you're trying to keep. And it's, it's really important that all three, you know, points of the triangle are working together. But it, it all, in, in that case, like if you're looking at a specific sport, the coach might be the leader and we have to appreciate that as the, you know, the healthcare professional, or it's like, you know, what's the intention, right? Like you, you're not going to give everybody the same treatment, you know, you, unless you're thinking at like where they're going, where they're coming from, what their goals are, things like that. But yeah, there, there should be a communication. And I think that's, that's happening. It's happening like structurally. What happens is in a practical standpoint, sometimes if you're not, in both worlds there it's hard to um it, it, it's hard to kind of connect the two because you see what you see someone else sees what they see like there's a lot of times i want to refer out to um like psychologists and things like that but it's just it's a hard process to have somebody going to all these different places mm -hmm. all the times like that's just something i've seen practically but i think there's an effort that's definitely being undertaken to have more people be involved yeah. And I just, yeah, I think if we understand each other a little bit more of like you said, like, okay, this is my lane. I'm going to stay here. Mm -hmm. I don't need to know everything about, it. I think a lot of young coaches, especially in personal training, 
have that mindset. Like if they don't know an answer, they have to figure it out like on the fly. It's like, right. You know, right. you know I mean, just going through the, you know, doctor program of physical therapy, there's a lot of stuff that you don't know off the bat. Like you need to, no doubt, yeah. you need to figure that out and learn that, you know, from there. So, well, you mentioned strong first, and I know that's something that we've, you know, uh, collectively have worked with, you know, together. How was it that you found like strong first? What was it that intrigued you about that system? So the first, um, one of the first like training experiences I got at the, the first place I was working at was a guy there just started doing kettlebells. His name was Carlos Bradley, he's a former like, professional football player, but he was doing it like when RKC was just getting started. Um, he, he went to, I guess, Minneapolis, Minneapolis is where the, like the first one was done. And he brought, that's that where I went. That was there. my first one. <laughs> yeah. And he, and it was just, you know, it was definitely different at the time, but he would, get some of the trainers down on the, the basketball court that we had there and doing swings. We would, we would also like do bear crawls. Like we would do all this kind of cool stuff and we loved it. And there was like a camaraderie to it that we were doing something different, but I, I would be lying if I said, I understand it and understood it and did it well right. at that time. I was just sort of like trying to do it for the workout. Um, but it, that, that built over time where I felt like, okay, as I was getting more proficient with the movements, I was like, Oh man, I see the, the effects. And the effects were so different than the typical like bodybuilding stuff I was doing um, just from like, I, I had been an athlete. And then like, once I gave up basketball, I kind of went right into more of just bodybuilding style, mm -hmm. go to the gym, trying to make it all about like more body composition, not yep. really thinking about how it was very different from like athletic movement, which I was accustomed to my whole life, where I felt like kettlebell stuff started bringing me back to that, where it was like, Oh, okay. Like, I'm conditioning my body to be able to do things better. Right. Like, and, and that was just not in my mind when I was thinking about bodybuilding stuff, I was just thinking like, how much can I bench? Like, how do I look in a mirror? Like, yeah. And, and it's, you know, you look back and it's embarrassing to say, but it's not, I know it's not unusual. So yeah. it just, it's, that was the, the norm. And then the, the feeling with kettlebells was very different. Like I just felt like life was a little easier gradually over time. Like, huh. like I could carry things easier. I didn't get as tired, like just doing like stuff, around and I felt like I could uh, I just felt like more spry you know like more athletic like mm -hmm. which I was used to being like playing a sport uh, and then that kind of tied in actually like I, I'm a CrossFit coach or a former CrossFit coach too so I was in CrossFit for a while I thought the two actually blended well together depending on you two you talk to people might not agree with that but like okay. to me they, they blended well because I had going into CrossFit like a kettlebell background and I felt proficiency there so anytime kettlebells came up it was like like that, that was easy for me. But at the same time, it made sense to me even how they were doing barbell stuff where it's like, okay, this is just sort of like not that different than doing kettlebell snatches, kettlebell swings. It's just like, it's a different implement mm -hmm. and you can do it poorly or you can do it well and you can get hurt doing all of it. And you know, it's, so it just felt like it was an extension of that. But mm -hmm. at the same time, like anything, you have to learn how to do anything you're doing before you just jump into it. Right. So, so you were so you were a CrossFit coach before you got into kettlebell work with with this I, guy I was doing kettlebells first. Okay. Like, but I was I didn't have I hadn't done any of the uh, certifications. I gotcha. was just doing it sort of like with someone else who had done a certification. But I I got I was a CrossFit coach before I was a SFG. Gotcha. So um, I and I and I liked blending those worlds because I found things that were totally useful with both, and I would say both gave me this this carryover to physical therapy where it was about looking at how to do a movement well 
And then you can sort of do whatever you want with that movement as you get better at it. Okay. Right. And, and that's what I, that's what I see potential for CrossFit. That doesn't always happen, but that you, you learn about how to do a bunch of different movements that you probably would not have done. You know, like, so I was never doing Olympic lifting. I wasn't, you know, doing rowing and, and other stuff, even like that was more cardiovascular. So mm-hmm. all of that has a technique that is part of that. And it's, it's taught there. Now, when you get into like the wad, sometimes it all goes to shit, but <laughs> it is at least taught. And if you are, you know, if you're doing your own kind of work with yourself, like, and you find that important, which I did like in having a background with anatomy and kinesiology, I was right. like, okay, like I can see how it would make sense to do this well from an efficiency standpoint. Well, that makes a lot of things easier, but it would have been stuff I was never doing before. So like the, the idea of the hip hinge, the idea of the squat, the idea of like kind of pressing archetypes, pulling archetypes being, um, something that you look at from a training standpoint also became my movement assessment with different people. Gotcha. Okay. You know, the world of CrossFit is interesting because personally, I never like jumped into it. I, I've seen it. I've seen the games. I've, I've worked with a lot of people with it, but I found kind of kettlebell training and kind of functional movement pretty early in my career. And I just kind mm-hmm. of stayed on that path because that feels personally best for me. And you, you have, you've heard all of the stigmas and kind of the negative sides of it when in reality, it's like, you know, there's a lot of really good things about their modalities. I'm saying too, is it just kind of the wads that some people just kind of throw shade at or just talk shit about? And it's like, just yeah, because, and- because of the volume of it or kind of what, what do you think is really the negatives behind that? I think it's, it's hard to separate out the, the sport of it from the, you know, like the movement patterns that you're, you're mm-hmm. learning and, and know what, no matter what environment I've gone to, there is an initial teaching process for everybody. It's just like, I think the, the business model forces people to get into things that they, they might not be ready for too quickly. Right. Which strong first is, is I think very good at, talking about programming from a standpoint that it's actually quite unique. Like I would say it's, it's one of their, their better um, like qualities is that a lot of this stuff is very simple. It's like respect rest breaks, right? Like it teaches yes. you how to, how to rest and things like that. But I would say like CrossFit's actually more in line with most boot camp type of things. When you go in there, it's just that the implements that you're using are harder, right? Like, it's, right. But, they, but they're also based on stuff that people would, already do and have some type of like training and teaching process for it. So it's really just like blending the worlds of like gymnastics and different types of like cardiovascular endeavors with Mm. uh, Olympic lifting and powerlifting. So if you can do all of those well, then you're, you're sort of in control of how you want to use those. There's no reason not to do them for higher volume. Like if you have a 400 pound squat, then why can't you do 225 for reps and, and, and connect it to some other things so i think it's, it's sort of like just building more capacity but yeah people get hurt on the way but people get hurt doing everything in my experience and this is mm-hmm. as a physical therapist like i've treated as many people from yoga injuries as i have from crossfit injuries yeah. and i'm i work and i did for a while work mainly with crossfitters for yeah. or a lot with crossfitters because i was a coach so it's just like, I just think it's the same thing. It's like, it's how you do it, what you're ready for, not mm. the actual modalities that you're using. It's, it's not the movement. It's what part of the movement are you ready for? And if you do it well, like you can scale it to know what you're ready for. It's just that I think the environment, like you get swept away in it and there's not enough 
education. There's not enough making that important mm-hmm. to people. But if you already make that important for yourself, it can. I think it's fine, and you can get like a ton of value from it, and you learn a lot right. in the process. Yeah. One, you mentioned yoga there because I think the mm-hmm. the number one exercise modality that people get injured in in the country is yoga. You know, it's like, it's, it's synonymous with flexibility when it's like, no, there's a lot of different aspects of yoga that comes in. So, um, you know, cause you think it's just body weight and stuff like that. It's like, no, you can get hurt in anything if you're not ready for it and you're getting into movements. Right. right. But no, it is the, I mean, the CrossFit kind of debate of, of stuff is interesting. Cause a lot of people I know who have said, more negative type things are ones who really haven't experienced it as much. And that was like the first thing I saw is like, okay, like, you know, a young person, I just started just kind of getting bandwidth and, you know, going along with the masses of people saying that when I really didn't know, then I looked at it, I was like, well, they're doing Olympic lifting. Oh, they're doing squatting. Okay. They're doing functional patterns. Yeah. This doesn't seem that bad. It's like, okay. Yeah. It's like, if you're not ready for something, that's going to, that's going to change. But strong for that is different. Like the appreciating rest times, really focusing on the strength aspect of is very different on that. Like I'm just, I'm going into SFL training right now, going from iron cardio. So Mm -hmm. barbell training, you're like Mm -hmm. lifting, then taking like three minutes rest. It's like, it's more of a a workout to rest than it is to actually do anything, you know, from there. So, so when is it that you got into, um, like getting into the certifications when you were like, okay, like I want to go in and really learn more and dive deep into this work with, with Pavel and these other master instructors. Uh, you know, I went to uh, an Indian club certification at mm-hmm. Phil Scarito's place and Brett Jones was, was doing that with him and with uh, Ed Thomas. And okay. to be honest, like when I went to that, this, this was probably like 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know that like, RKC and strong, like that change had happened. Like I didn't even know like strong first was a company until I went to that. And I saw a lot of people like kind of wearing the shirts and started asking some questions there. And after that is when I started looking into it more. Um, A friend of mine who I started doing kettlebells, like we kind of started together. I don't know if you know Noah Maxwell. He's a beast gamer. I I assisted Noah in Philly when I was in King of Prussia. He's a great guy. So I've known him as, as long as he's been doing kettlebells, I have, like we started together with Carlos at that the first place I worked at. He's, he works with me at the, the gym that I work at now, but he was doing it. Like he, he went like really deep into it. And he was into the strong first before I actually even knew what it was, mm-hmm. but we sort of like reconnected and I knew he was doing like PSCs and things like that. And that, that's what made me start looking at, okay, let me just do like train for the SFG one. Mm-hmm. Let me see how close I am. And, you know, going through that process was, it was awesome. Like I, I really found it to be quite valuable. Like I had, I had a background, but I, I definitely still had to train quite a bit to get ready for the SFG one. Mm-hmm. Um, so going through that, it was just like, yeah, I want to go through more of these now. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's an interesting experience. I was kind of more like Noah. I found this world in 2010. So I was with RKC mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. Minneapolis, with that Minneapolis gym when they were bringing in like people who were the victims they they called them victim coaching where you had to like grab two people and teach them a kettlebell lesson in that gym so you had 50 instructors teaching another 50 people in that spot right. how to swing kettlebell it was it was absolutely hysterical <laughs> uh from there so but then yeah and then the merger you know have yeah Noah's a great guy from there yeah. so after you finish with level one I mean now you're elite you've gone through all four you know certifications from there what was it about like the body weight or the barbell that you saw that really was kind of like, I want to go and check this out now after doing the kettlebells. Well, I think it, I, I like how they kind of put 
challenges there that are there's an education to it but it's it's an absolute like physical kinesthetic education right so very like very few certifications if any that i've gone to have such a physical preparation to them and i and i love that because i feel like that was what was missing in physical therapy so going to the sfg1 it was i mean i was in way better shape just for having to train from that mm -hmm. right and then i just wanted to follow through on the plan so i always had in my sights elite but i don't even think elite was a thing when i got sfg1 like i think that came on a little bit later but as soon as they started adding those on i'm like absolutely like i want to kind of follow through with this because i know i know i'm going to learn something in the process but i'm also going to have to train for something that maybe i haven't trained for so i love that versatility of fitness and i and i do again i think i got a lot of that from crossfit as well it's just how you choose to use it um so like the I learned a lot and I just did the SFL and I learned a ton from Dr. Hartle just from his powerlifting background and things like that. But as far as like the loads that were what I needed to do, like I, I definitely had those already from other training, like right. from CrossFit training and things like that. And, and I would say even a lot of the gymnastics stuff that was done through CrossFit really actually prepared me quite a bit for the SFB. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just like I, the, the integration there was, I, I wanted to see, the message and how that was different and the the tools that they're using and how that's different but it's just more tools to add to my box basically but if there's like one method that i just it's like i know i'm going to get what i need and i don't have to look at other methods i would say strong first is that for me like it's mm -hmm. just they do such a good job i think of tying touching on all elements of fitness mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't mean that like you don't get stuff by looking other places it's just that it's very thorough, very versatile. And, th and that's personally what I like. Like, I, I don't like to be a specialist. So, and especially as I'm getting older, I feel healthier by being versatile. So I, and I get all the versatility I need, I feel like from Schrompers. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's interesting because when they started coming out with the other modalities, you realize it's all still umbrellaed under the same system and the, mm -hmm. the physical preparation of it, I just always found is the same thing yeah. like it. And you have to recertify and maintain those, you know, maintain those credentials right. as the time yeah. goes on, you know, which is huge from there. So now, I mean, with your, with your work that you do with your space, with, uh, you know, with movement professional, um, you know, doctor of physical therapy plus strength and conditioning plus strength coach from strong first do you find yourself in the strength world going more towards the strong first principles with most people or is it a lot of athletic based training that you work with as well uh either i would say there's a couple models that i i really follow depending on what's in front of me like so mm -hmm. when i start getting closer to training and especially with with people that are newer to it i definitely will have the strong first principles be what I, what I'm using as guiding principles. If I'm working more on trying to make like movement change, that's maybe a little bit more specific, like mobility changes or trying to like dissociate like one joint from another. Um, I did, I don't know if you're familiar with Bill Hartman, um, but he's a physical therapist out in Indianapolis. He's got a place IFAST, but I did an intensive with him and, and his model it, it's, it ties into PRI a little bit like and, Ooh, and things okay. like that, but it, it's very useful for, I need to make like really specific biomechanical changes or I, I have to understand the body from a very specific standpoint. Okay. So, but it like everything I'm hoping blends together and I feel like it does. It's just sort of understanding like when I need to put 
you know, one model into the forefront more than another. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say like, yeah, strong first, I, I will use that as a mod, like the six movements from SFG one. Yep. I will try to get people doing versions of them, even without telling them that they have anything to do with the certification, just because mm -hmm. I, I assess a lot from that, right? Okay. Like just by looking at them, like getting someone to be able to swing when they never even touched a kettlebell before, like there's a lot that goes into that process mm -hmm. that you can start to see improvement with. And there's, there's so many regressions that are discussed in the, you know, SFG and, and all the strong first certifications that it becomes mm -hmm. just like a nice model to say like, okay, if I can get a patient to eventually a client to do all of those movements, well, I've done some good for them. If okay. they've already started with that, then yeah, then, then we can talk about like, how do we enhance that and things mm -hmm. like that. So okay. Like, in my education right now, I'm trying to be able to cater to people that are new to fitness that are sort of afraid to exercise. Like that's, I would mm -hmm. say a big part of my clientele that like, and there's a, there's a big psychology piece to that. Um, so I have a background with like mindfulness meditation, as well as I took some cognitive be behavioral therapy courses and, okay. and tied into like the sort of biopsychosocial model of pain. So that's, that all is, what I'm trying to make people is like less intimidated by exercise because mm -hmm. they're the reasons that they're intimidated, basically demonstrating to them that they're, they're unfounded by having them progress in a gradual enough way that they can do more than they think. And mm -hmm. that is not as hard to do as one would think, right? It's just sort of like put them, okay. give them something, you know, that they're going to be successful with. And once they get successful with you just, like anything else, it just becomes like graded exposure or it becomes like this mm -hmm. progressive overload idea. But the initial starting point, instead of it being near a one repetition max might be like a psychological max. Yes. It might be the easiest thing in the gym and getting consistency is key, right? Coming in frequently, mm -hmm. something I, I feel like it, I couldn't do as well in a busy clinic and physical therapy. I can do much better when it's one-on-one -on -one, mm -hmm. that you can just see this kind of gradual change of people getting less fearful of what they thought they couldn't do or shouldn't do because mm -hmm. of age or because of some type of diagnosis or someone gave them advice that they should never do something again. Okay. And then the other side of that is I want to get myself in as good a condition as possible and be as exploratory with movement as possible. Mm -hmm. So when I do have people that are higher level from a fitness standpoint that they feel like I know what I'm doing there too. Like I know how to progress people. I could be advanced when the time comes. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I'm looking for is like kind of too extreme in, in yeah. some ways. Yeah. The, um, the, the mindfulness piece of it and meditation, I think is so vital because I think it's too, like whether you're brand new to the gym and health and fitness, or if you're an elite athlete, there's probably some pieces of mindfulness that would needs to work because everybody does, you know, right. I dabbled a little bit with the PRI stuff with uh, uh, mm -hmm. my buddy, Chris, when we were at the studio. And that is like, that's a, that's a next level of the assessment stuff. Uh, the postural restoration, you know, type yeah. work. Yeah. But with the mind, with the mindset and meditation stuff, do you utilize that at all in your assessment and consultation process with people when you first get into it? Or do you kind of start putting that in once you get rolling with somebody? So, yeah, I mean, it's for very specific like exercises along that way where I'll actually start having the discussion about mindfulness. It's when I'm probably a little bit more comfortable with people and we, and we 
been working with each other a little bit more. On the other hand, like what mindfulness has become to me is just a way of training the mind, right? Training the responses of the mind. So just like you would look at training the body where there's like a very specific you know, process, it can be quite objective where it's like, okay, I'm doing this much weight. I have a plan to, to get here. I'm, I'm trying to look at people's behaviors and what would get maybe get in the way of them doing what I want them to do from a physical therapy standpoint. So I always have to be assessing like where they're at from a, you know, a mindfulness standpoint. And, you know, one of the things that you see is there's, there's like a lack of wanting to be present in making change. Like physical therapy is a process, not a fix. Right. So like what we're doing, I think any therapy is a process. Like that's what makes it different from say like a surgery or like pharmacology. Like I'm taking somebody through a process that doesn't necessarily have a finite end and it doesn't need to have a finite end. It's really, it's like, it's the journey idea. So somebody who's got more of a mentality that's open to that, I think that, that, that ties into mindfulness. Like mindfulness helps with that idea of like, I don't have to, I'm not going to be done with this. And then I never have to think about it again. Most of the time, like working on your body, working on your yourself incorporates psychology, incorporates physical, but pain comes with that. So instead of looking at it as like, it's this thing I need to be exercised from my body, it's going to be something that you need to have a relationship with that you can use over time and, and understand. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think mindfulness plays into that. And that's certainly it's affected the way that I look at things. I'll put it that way. I don't, I don't always like do specific things with patients. Um, but I'll get there. Like I I start with breathing really early on and sometimes breathing naturally flows into discussion about mindfulness, but I really try to keep it quite secular. Like I don't want to touch on anything that would feel, um, religious just because like, it, to me, it's, it doesn't have to be that at all. There's, there's but like, barnacles on that word. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to be weary that like, that's not what somebody is perceiving. As right. soon as you bring up meditation, like they might start thinking immediately like, oh, I'm not a Buddhist or something like that. Where as mm-hmm. opposed to, I, like, I'm thinking from a purely neuroscience standpoint, and there's a lot of unknown around it, but from a very practical standpoint is like, there's a lot of unknown around physical training too. Right. And mm-hmm. that's what science is all about. Like trying to kind of get more more to be known that's unknown but we know like when you train you you have your practical experience of like this is helpful (laughs) right this is useful and and then you can also start to see some common threads of like why this is useful and how you can make consistent change to yourself but also to other people well i feel like there is a piece of that to mindfulness training there it's not just like sort of this vague thing it it really is it you're training yourself to not be as reactive to things and therefore it gives you more space to make better decisions and therefore be in more control of like how you want to change. Right. Have you seen these like memes and stuff that popped out from people saying like the, the gym is my therapy and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Have you seen those messages? It's, mm-hmm. I don't know why, but it's something that like really kind of just bothered me, like seeing those <laughs> things, you know, just because it's, I, I understand, I think like the, the message that people are trying to get to. Mm-hmm. But I think kind of what you just explained there, Chris, is kind of there's, there is strength in body and practicing that will help in some ways. I guess it's like, mm-hmm. it's not therapy, but it is therapeutic in some ways mm-hmm. to get to the mind. But mindfulness practice needs to also be kind of its separate thing as well. 
you know, and I think it's yeah, almost absolutely. that it's like, you know, like, you know, breath work, like I've done a lot of, you know, work with breath work too. And you can go down that rabbit hole of a lot of different mm-hmm. areas of well, and what it brings up from there. But, you know, when I had, uh, you know, Brett on the podcast a while ago, he kind of brought that same point up of, you know, perception. Like if you say, what does strength mean to you? If you close your eyes and just think of the word strength, what does that mean? And he's like, well, if you think of a big monster dude smelling, smelling salts and ripping it up, well, you probably have a negative feeling towards the gym and some people might have that. So words like meditation or religion, or even mindfulness, people might already have a perception of that. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of meeting people where they're at on that. So I'm always curious about, because a lot of times we, as you know, coaches, as you know, people in practice, we want to throw the kitchen sink at everything that we know with somebody because we want to help mm-hmm. them so much, but it's kind of doing it in a, in a step-by-step basis. is going to be the way to, as you said, really build that consistency over time. And it's an ongoing yeah. thing. It's not a fix. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And I think one of the things you touched on there is communication from a practitioner to their client so valuable but i think underestimated right like you and it it comes with experience but it also comes with like taking more you know taking on more models that might even be against your original model so like mm-hmm. just trying to take in more information it starts to help you communicate better with people because that's one of the things i feel like has changed the most as i've gotten more years in both fields is that when when you're a student and at least i was like i felt like I was holding on to the only thing I knew, which was what I learned in school. And there's a defensiveness to not actually having that much experience where it's like, you, you're actually like kind of more of a dick when you're earlier on in your career, because you're, you're not as open to knowing that you don't like, right. you don't know a lot and you're not going to know a lot, but how you communicate to people is like super important. And that's where I think you, you notice experience in people, like all of the mentors I've had there, fantastic communicators more than they are like you know having a knowledge of anatomy and things like that which is usually good too but it's just like how you communicate that stuff is is often more important than how much you know and that's sometimes what gets lost too is when you start to go into different models like what might turn somebody off is like somebody might communicate too much judgment in how they talk about something that you know you found value in instead of just saying okay like i'm here let me just find what's useful from what they're saying if they're communicating something that is different than what you believe and you just shut your mind off to it already well you've lost a learning opportunity but that happens a lot right like just because it you know did the communication even though the material was great the the way that it was brought to your attention just might turned you off to it and then and that's also got to be part of like the learning process for the individual taking on information is saying Mm -hmm. like okay let me be open to the fact that they're not going to say things exactly the way I want them said. And I have to be okay with like seeing what I can still get out of this. Um, But I'm I'm sure I I see that all the time and continuing it. And I, I also can look back to how I was initially learning something new. And I was a lot more judgmental of how people said (laughs) stuff. Right. Right. To the point where it might get in the way of me actually getting as much out of it. Like I was making a judgment about the whole content that they were giving me based mm-hmm. on how they were communicating. And, and I think you, you lose out on that. Like PRI is a good example where I'm glad I stuck it out in a way. And I've had, I had friends that like had found value in it because 
I did not love the way it was communicated the first couple of courses I took. And part of it was that it, maybe it was more confusing than I thought it needed to be for my learning style. But it was also there was there was a lot of like it felt like they were selling something and judging others. Right. Oh, and okay. you get you know what I mean? I, when it come down to just understanding what they're teaching, it's like, oh, this is super, super valuable for looking at the body in a way I was looking at it. Mm-hmm. And it actually is quite coherent to other systems of the body. It's not like a leap of faith once you start to understand it and understand like it's, it's an extension of biomechanics. But the way that it's taught sometimes is like you have to believe in some the teacher as a guru. And that's where right. that'll You're turn just going a lot on of faith. Off. Right. Yeah. That, that'll turn a lot of people off. So I'm I'm glad I, I stuck with the process because, yeah, it was like originally kind of a turnoff to me and in, in how it was taught but mm-hmm. since then i've now i'm like coming from a different perspective i know mm-hmm. that there's going to be some of that too but it's almost like i don't care anymore because i'm just like learning for the next thing because i'm seeing how it's helping my my clients right you know it's fun i think it was dan john who said the line like when something works so well you stop doing it you know it's right. like, yeah and it's i used to see this all the time when i worked and i managed a, a team of uh, trainers it was like clockwork every time the brand new trainer that didn't know anything at all would get in front of somebody and they would just listen to them. And that person would buy training from them like every single time (laughs) till then all of a sudden they started to get some experience and they learned some stuff. Then all of a sudden they just, people stopped buying from them. And it was like, it has nothing to do. You know, more on the floor in there. It's how you're communicating to the person because once you think, you know, a little bit, now you're part of the club of everybody. And then it like, oh, so it is, it's, you know, all like knowledge is so, you know, key. And I think all the stuff that you said, like with knowing anatomy and physiology, I think it's vital stuff and people should, especially trainers should take more time and understanding what's going on in the body and learning these things. But then at the same time, like the communication skills of working with people is going to be the thing that, you know, makes you presentable and makes you likable. So somebody wants to spend a half hour, an hour with you. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, Chris, dude, this was awesome, man. It was great to connect with you. And, uh, you know, learn, I love that. Likewise. Just, yeah. You're just continuing, continuing to find all the new ways to just, you know, add into the work that you're doing and always finding the best ways. So, uh, again, congrats on the elite certification and, um, yeah, no, it was a blast talking with you. Likewise. Yeah. If people want to learn more about you, I know you have a book longevity through movement, um, that's out there too. What's the best place that people can go and uh, check out your stuff? Uh, my website is movementprofessional.com and pretty much everything's on there. Um, I also am on Instagram at, at movementprof. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think it would be movement professional can be searched on Facebook. So I have a, a page on there. Um, I'm coming out with my second book is going to be an ebook only just because like there's so many videos that I figured it would just be easier to do links. But I'm finishing that up. Hopefully it'll be up on my website um, by the end of this month. Uh, that's my hope. Cause I am kind of done with my part. I'm just waiting for some, some editing to be done on it, but awesome. So yeah, but mostly movementprofessional.com. Every, everything will be on there. If you want to contact me, I'm, I'm not certainly not popular enough that I won't get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, man. Good. Well, Chris, again, thanks so much for your time. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for connecting. If you want to check out more of Chris's stuff, you know where to do that. And I will see you on the next one. Bye guys. Yeah.
Thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you came away with great stories and insights that you can use to create more strength and success in your life. Remember now, for a time, you can grab a free copy of the One Day Strength Challenge, the playbook that incorporates proven strength aerobics training along with the skill of intuition to help you create, design, and achieve your perfect training plan that fits around your busy schedule. Just go to www.thebreakthroughsecrets.com and grab your free copy today. It's your life. Make it the strongest possible. Catch you guys later.